0: I'm Jeremy Pearsons. I'm so glad you tuned into this broadcast today. I believe that the word you are about to hear has the ability, has the anointing, has the capacity to bring change into your life. And no matter whatever it is you might be facing or walking through right now, I'm telling you the word of God has your answer. All right, let's get into the word together and I'll be back at the end of this broadcast. Proverbs chapter four, verse 20 Solomon writing to his son, he said, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Say these three words with me. Keep them in. Say it again. Keep them in. This is a son, or a father, excuse me, talking to his son, trying to get some attention from him. You know what that's like. I know what that's like. Hey, boy, look at me. Pay attention, don't be distracted. I know you got a lot of other voices coming at you. Mine are the ones that need to get in you. Mine are the ones that you need to keep in you. Because he went on to say, if you will incline your ear to it, if you'll you'll keep them in front of your eyes, if you'll keep them in the midst of your heart, these words, unlike any others, will be life to you. They'll be medicine and health to your flesh. And then he said to him in verse 23, New King James, he said, keep your heart. With all diligence. So there you see that word again, keep. He said, keep the words in. Now he's saying, keep them in your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it or out of your heart spring the issues of life. The New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So when he said, keep it, what was he telling you to do? Guard it. Your heart needs a guard. And like we said last week, you, you're the only one who can do the job. I can't guard your heart. You can't guard my heart. You can't keep things from getting in my ears and my eyes and making their way down into my heart. I'm the one. That's my anointing. That's my calling in my own life to guard my own heart. God himself cannot guard your heart. You are that guard. And the reason we guard it is because the heart determines the course of your life. So if it's my heart that's determining where I end up, you better believe I don't want junk in here. I don't want something toxic in here. If I don't want to end up in the wrong place, I'm going to have to guard this heart to make sure the right things are in it and the wrong things stay out. And that's what we've seen a guard does. A guard serves two purposes, right? Keep things out that don't belong in and keep things in that don't belong out. That's what a guard does. And he said it like this in the Young's literal translation, above every charge, keep your heart for out of it Are the outgoings of life. And then finally, the God's Word translation says, Guard your heart more than anything else, because the source of your life flows from it. I read these translations to you because I'm trying to drive this home especially these things that we've heard over and over and over again, we tend to get kind of inoculized to. We we get a little bit immune to how strong and and how assertive it actually is. He's telling you to guard this thing more than you guard anything else, more than you guard your own physical body, more than you guard your own physical well-being or your financial well-being. Guard that heart. It's valuable. It's precious. And it's worth guarding. Go to the book of Luke chapter eight. We've been looking for the last several weeks at some things Jesus said. And we're taking this from several different uh, perspectives, Matthew, Mark, and now Luke, where he talked about the parable of the sower. And without taking time to go back through the whole thing, you remember what we've discussed some, you know, Jesus stood up to preach and all these people had come to hear him. And he said, Behold, which just means look, a sower went out to sow. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's what sowers do. They sow. But this wasn't like we've discussed, you know, a a seed, one seed here being planted, then another seed being planted down a row. This was more like a scattering of seed. So this sower reaches into his bag of seed and scatters seed. And Jesus said, a sower went out to sow and some seed fell. So there you can see that. He's throwing it and the seeds falling. Some seed fell on the wayside ground. He said, the birds came and devoured it. He said, some seed fell on stony ground and it didn't have much earth. It sprang up. But when the sun was up, Jesus said, it scorched it. Luke's account says it lacked moisture and uh, it withered away. So it didn't produce anything. Jesus said some fell on thorny ground. And this is what we talked about last week. And he said the thorns sprang up and it choked it and it became unfruitful. And Like we've said before, if you were to stop right there, you might think that something's wrong with this seed. If you don't understand that the ground has something to do with it, then you might be tempted to look and go, man, I sowed this sucker three times and it has yet to produce anything. Maybe there's something wrong with the seed. But then Jesus said, some seed fell on, who knows what? Good ground. ground. I want you to say that, good ground. Some seed fell on good ground. And he said, it yielded a harvest. It produced a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And then the Bible says, he cried, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He cried it out. And you're going, well, everybody's got ears, but very few actually heard it. And really that's what the whole parable is all about because his disciples came to him later and said, you got to explain this to us. And Jesus said to them, you couple this with, with all the different accounts. He said to them, if you don't understand this one, are you listening to me? If you don't understand this one, this parable, how then will you understand any of them? That ought to tell you and me that there are master keys in this parable that unlock all of scripture. You know what a master key is? It's a key that does them all. Anybody have a big key ring? I don't know if people are carrying that around so much anymore. You got one of those rings that just got, it seems like I got 150 keys on it and you're standing out there looking for the one where's the one for this and where's the one for that. But if you had a master key, right? you could go to that master key and you could unlock any of the doors. That's what this parable is. And that's why he said to them, if you don't understand this, then there's gonna be a lot you don't understand. And he began to explain the parable to them. He said, the sower sows the word. That was the seed. So that right there ought to tell you nothing wrong with the seed. So when something's not producing in your life, When you're not bearing the kind of fruit you've been told you can bear as a believer, as a Christian, as a child of God, and it doesn't seem to be working and that frustration start starting to set in. The first thing you need to remind yourself every time, nothing wrong with this seed. Are you listening, church? Every time. And those words should probably come out of your mouth. If you're getting frustrated, you're really only a few steps away from being frustrated with God. And that's a place you don't want to be. Just a little piece of advice, okay? Stay on his side. Stay on his side. Don't get in fights with him. You won't win. Don't get in arguments with him. He's smarter than you. He knows more than you. Is this revelation to anybody this morning? Stay on his side. And you do that. By saying aloud, there is nothing wrong with this seed. Nothing wrong with this. This seed is an incorruptible seed. I was born again by this seed. This seed works when it's put in ground that it can work with. So you know to go back to the seed or go back to the ground. And Jesus said, the sower sows the word. He said, this is they that hear the word on wayside ground. They hear it. He said, they don't understand it. Remember, we talked some about this. And Satan comes immediately and steals the word. Well, why was Satan able to do that? Do you realize he cannot do that in just anybody's life? He does not have that kind of liberty. He does not have that kind of power. Oh, don't say that. You'll tick him off. He does not have that kind of power. He's been stripped. He's been brought to naught. He cannot just do that in anybody's life. The only people he can steal the word from are those who Jesus said don't understand it. Now, people hear that and they think, well, man, I'm really in trouble because I don't really get a lot of this. It's not about mental. It's not about grasping it. It's not a brain problem. Okay? It's not a lack of education. It's not because you didn't go to seminary or Bible school. It's not because you don't have some PhD or doctorate in all this different doctrines. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's not a brain problem. It's a heart issue. And people who don't understand the word, again, it's not mentally. It has to do with the word sinking into their heart. They don't get the value of it. See, I'm preaching to a bunch of people in here this morning who are in here this morning. And what does that say about you? I value this. You could be sleeping. I hesitate to tell you that, (laughs) but you could be, couldn't you? You could have rolled over. You could have said five more minutes, God, five more minutes. You could have hit snooze, but this is valuable to you. This is precious to you. You see value in this. So you got up, you got out of bed, you got ready, you got the family in the car, you made it here. That says something about you. Not to me, to God. That says, Lord, I value this. Those who don't value it, He said it's like hearing it on that wayside ground. And I want to spend a little more time with this today because this wayside ground, look up the word, it, it just literally means a road. It was a first century equivalent to concrete. It'd be like me walking out to 24 and scattering seed, hoping something grows in the middle of the highway. Not gonna happen. Why? The ground's hard. And when the ground's hard, the seed can't penetrate. And if it's just sitting out on top, birds come, right? They they steal the seed. That's what happens in somebody's life who hears the word, doesn't value it, doesn't understand it, Satan comes and takes it, and it's like they never heard it. And it's so sad. When Satan steals the word from somebody who didn't value it, it's as though they never heard it. So no, it's not producing anything. Well, why didn't it get in? Well, are you there in Luke chapter eight? I want you to start making this connection. Look at verse 15. Jesus said, the ones that fell on good ground. Somebody say good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart. That word good is the exact same word he just used to describe the ground. So good ground, say it again, is a good heart. Good ground, good heart. Those who hear it with a good heart, what do they do? They keep it. There we go again. They keep it. They protect it. They guard it. And they bear fruit with patience. So good ground is good heart. We need to get over now into talking about good ground. Because by the grace of God, that's what you and I are. And that's what we're going to be. That's what I desire to be. Is the kind of ground that the word of God can go to work in and produce fruit in. It's not hard to figure out what good ground is. All you have to do is look at bad ground and don't be that. (laughs) Don't do that. So if good ground is good heart, what do you know right away about hard ground? What does that tell you about the heart? Hard heart. Good ground, good heart. Hard ground, hard heart. This is a big reason the word wouldn't be able to produce. What makes the ground good? Let me just give it to you the way the Lord said to me. You can easily see what makes the good ground good once you see what makes it bad. When we identify what kept the word from producing fruit in the first three types of ground or the first three kinds of hearts, we'll recognize what we don't want going on in our heart. We're setting up a guard. You don't want a hard heart. I'm going to give you a few scriptures here in just a moment. Can you handle a few scriptures today? Man, I am loaded. If I gave you everything that I saw from the word in this, it would be coming out of your ears on the way out of here today. So just trust the Lord with me. We'll get to the right thing. But one of the things that you and I have to guard over is the hardness of our hearts. You don't want a hard heart. Hard heart is like hard ground. When the word gets sown, it just sits right there on top, doesn't penetrate, doesn't get in and Satan comes along and says, thank you very much. I'll take that. And it's like you never heard it. Why? Because the heart was hard. Couldn't penetrate. Put this verse on the screen for us. Proverbs chapter 29 verse one. While they're looking for that, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter four. You're looking for Ephesians four. Listen to what Proverbs 29, verse 1 says. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Let the severity of that kind of settle in for a second. Look at it. He who is often rebuked. So that's not just being corrected once or twice, is it? It's being corrected over And rebuked again and again and again. And a rebuke is a strong word. This is not somebody who is too concerned about how you hear it. They're not so concerned about the niceness or the politeness of what they're saying. A rebuke is a strong word. And he said, he who is often rebuked and hardens his neck it's not a word or a phrase we use too much anymore but you're familiar with a stiff-necked kind of person the the children of Israel got called this by God often stiff-necked and it has to do with a hard heart it's stubbornness if we're honest about it it's just being stubborn somebody who's often rebuked and they're stubborn they don't want to hear it and they certainly aren't changing That person who hardens themselves, hardens their heart to it. Notice what happens. Suddenly they're destroyed and there's no remedy for it. That's not a concept you hear too much from the word of God. I mean, we believe in a big God who does big things. And man, he saved you. He saved you from the hell you were living. He saved you. He saved me. He pulled us out of the fire. He can do a lot of things. So when you and I see something from scripture that says this can't be fixed, You need to wake up, pay attention. How do calluses form? Look at your hands right now. Depending on the kind of life you live and the kind of job you have, you either have sweet, silky smooth (laughs) baby hands or maybe you've got some rough spots, some hard spots, some, some spots that have calloused and gotten hard When I was a freshman in high school, we had an English teacher that we thought was the coolest dude in the world. He was a young guy, kind of fresh out of college. I think maybe one of his first teaching jobs. He kept it on the down low, but some of the students found out he was in a band and this band had a song on the radio, the breakfast at Tiffany's song. Does anybody remember that song? I see the older people with blank stares on their face. That's fine. Don't worry about it. You didn't miss anything. Younger people might remember that one, but it was a kind of a big song, kind of a one hit wonder. This was this guy, our English teacher wrote that song and that was his band. And man, when we found that out, we thought this guy was so cool. So guess what? We wanted to be in a band and I had a couple of guys in my class. We decided to start a band. Problem, only one problem. None of us played anything. But we're going to beat a band. And so we start learning to play guitar, right? And uh, i got a, had a friend that learned to play bass, another friend that learned to play, another electric. We, we had one guy, there was one guy in the band that knew how to play drums. Actually, he was the best guitar player in the band, but none of us knew anything about drums, so he got stuck playing drums. And the band was called, are you ready for this? Jimmy Carter and Me. <laughs> that was the name of our band. Raise your hand if you never heard of us. Look at all the hands. Wow. Wow. And I remember learning to play guitar and I had this acoustic guitar in my bedroom. It belonged to my dad. He never learned to play it. Mama got it for him for some anniversary gift or something years before I think I was born. And so I'm trying to learn to play this guitar. Now, if you have ever played guitar, you know that when you first start playing, it hurts. You are, you've got these dainty little fingers, that you're pressing down on these metal strings, right? And you're learning to play these chords and you strum it and it sounds all rattly and it doesn't sound good and out of tune and all of that. Well, part of it is it hurts so much to press down on those strings that while you're learning, there's really only so long you can play before your fingers start hurting. But the more you play, the more you stay with it, the more you do it, the more you do it. I found that in a pretty short amount of time, I started developing these little calluses on the tips of my finger. Do I have any guitar players in here this morning? A few. Am I telling the truth? You got calluses right now on the tips of your fingers? Well, that's from friction. Look up how calluses are formed, how, how something that's soft becomes hard, and It's friction. It's this this rubbing together over and over and over and over and it starts to form these little calluses on your skin, somewhere on your body. And that's what was happening with uh, learning to play guitar. I experienced some of the same things starting to work out. You're lifting bars, you're doing pull-ups and stuff and I'd go home after a workout, my hands would just be torn to shreds building calluses right there. But the more you do it, the harder it becomes. Put that scripture back up there for us. Proverbs 29. Notice what it says again. He who is, what? Often. Often rebuked. What does that make you think of? Rebuked again and again and again. Now, why would somebody have to be rebuked again and again and again? Because they didn't get it the first time. They didn't change Right? They didn't receive it. And here's the big one. They didn't repent. Didn't repent. And so every time every time the rebuke comes and they resist it, what's happening? The heart's getting harder. And it's getting harder. And it's getting harder. And it's getting harder. But notice where this is headed. That person who resists the rebuke and won't repent, won't acknowledge, won't respond without excuses. Are you listening? Yep. That person will suddenly be destroyed. This is a wide open door to the devil in your life. Satan comes immediately and steals the word from from atop a hard heart and that without remedy Ephesians chapter four, did you find that one? Ephesians four, let me ask you this. When was the last time you received a rebuke? Now remember all of this is about hearing the word, right? The seed falling on your heart. When was the last time you got good and rebuked? When was the last time you got corrected, huh? See, the thing is, we we come at the Word, and and this is good to a a degree, but we come at the Word, man, we're excited about the promises. We're excited about the blessing that we see in it. We're excited about all the things it'll do for you, and it'll heal you, and it'll strengthen you. And man, we believe all that stuff, don't we, church? But one of the big functions of the Word of God is to correct us.